0: Good morning, High Street. I'm excited to be with you guys this morning. Um, some of you may not know me, so like Pastor Eddie said, my name is Tyler Miller. Uh, so I wanted to start off by telling you something about me that's maybe a little different. Um, I love movies. And you're like, that's not different. And I'm like, no, like, like I love movies. Like I love movies. If, if we get a free night in the Miller house, my wife's awesome. And so we usually get to watch a movie if we have free time. Uh, we, we had our first child. Uh, Jet was born about 10, 10 and a half months ago. And so, for the first time in over 11 months, we went to the movies together for uh, a couple weekends ago. And let me tell you, it was like an out of body experience. I was having the time of my life. I love movies. And there's something about the movies. I don't. Even, I don't know exactly what it is, but like whenever you're brought from the beginning of a movie, and then like an hour and a half, two hours in, you're brought to the climax, right? The scene where everything in the movie comes together, the moment that the actors have been working to kind of pr- prepare you for the, the the producers, whoever wrote the script, whatever. Like all of it comes together in the climax. And, and some some movies have something that happens that we like. We don't like it at all, but afterwards we're like, man, that was so powerful. And what I'm talking about is whenever one of the main characters dies at the end of a movie. And, and again, it's just powerful because it's scripted uh, and you've been prepared for this moment. And a lot of times what happens is they have some famous last words, right? I think of a few movies. One of them I think of is Braveheart where, where Mel Gibson, and these are older movies. So if I'm ruining them, like it's not on me, Um so Mel Gibson, right, he's playing William Wallace. And so he's leading the Scottish army against England for freedom. But he gets captured at the end of the movie and he's being laid out on a table and he's being tortured. And while he's being tortured, the, the English people that are, that are torturing him say, if you cry out for mercy or, or just submit to our king as your authority, we'll stop torturing you. And so in his last moments, you see him gather a breath and he yells out, freedom, freedom. I would yell, but it'd be weird in here with the mic. <laughs> he yells freedom. And, it, and it's just so powerful. Like it gives me goosebumps sometimes watching the movie because in the moment you're like, man, he stands for something so powerful. And, and we know the, Scout, the Scottish go on to get their freedom from England. Um, but that movie may not be it for you. So another movie I think of is the Titanic right? You have Rose and Jack. Uh, Rose is on this door that like there's plenty of space for at least two more people. But but any, whatever. She's on the door. She's holding hands with Jack. And, and he says to her, promise me now, Rose, never let go. Promise me now, Rose, never let go. And when he says this, it's kind of got a double meaning, right? He doesn't want her to, to let go of or forget the love that they shared for like two days on a boat. And he doesn't... And he also doesn't want her to let go of just the hope that that a rescue boat will come save her, right? And we know that she makes it and, and we know that he doesn't. Or my personal favorite, the movie that was the culmination of like 22 other movies leading up to this moment, right? A lot of you know what I'm talking about, the real fans, Avengers Endgame. And we know that we know that all these movies that started like 20 years ago, they all lead up to this moment where, where Thanos, the bad guy, is, is fighting off all of the world's superheroes. And, and Thanos, had, if you don't watch the movie, this is weird, but he has these stones that are like powerful, whatever. A couple movies before, he, he uses the stones and he says, I am inevitable. And he destroys half the universe. And then there's a couple of movies that take place that kind of like, Get back to the moment where the, the, the good guys are against Thanos again and they kind of go back in time. Weird stuff you can do in movies. And, and it comes down to the last fight scene. And it's Thanos versus Iron Man. And, and they're fighting and Thanos has the stones and, and he fights off Iron Man along with all the other superheroes. And he's about, to, he's about to use the stones again and he says again, I am inevitable. He snaps his fingers, which is how you use the stones. And nothing happens. And nothing happens. Nothing happens because Iron Man was able to get the stones from him. So now they're on Iron Man. And Iron Man says, I am Iron Man. He snaps his fingers, saves the universe, but at the cost of his life. There's something powerful about last words Especially in movies, whenever they're, they're scripted and they're planned out and, and you've been brought to a moment that, that you are ready to like receive them. It, it's been planned out. But in, in real life, like this doesn't happen because unfortunately, we're not able to control when our last moments are or what, or what our last words will be. But there was one man who was able to plan out his entire life. He was able to plan out his conversations, what he did. And he was able to plan out the last few days that he was going to spend on earth. And that man was Jesus Christ. And so we're going to look at his last words. The last words that he shared with the guys closest to him. The 11 disciples that were left after he had been, after he'd been crucified and comes back from the dead so we're going to be in Matthew 28. Um, Like they've said, we're we're going through this uh, series on faith basics. And so these are nine nine kind of like foundational truths about who God is that that we can use in our life, in our relationship with God. And so today we're doing number nine called the mission. And if you don't have one of these, you should get a few. They'll be over here at next steps after the service, the mission. And so we're going to be in Matthew 28, the last three verses of the book. And they're pretty popular verses that I bet if you've been to church a few times, I bet you've heard some, some talk, either an entire sermon or, or a short piece on it. And so before we jump into it, though, I want us to kind of be in the context and in the, in the right state of mind as we're about to step in. And so up until this point, Jesus has come down to earth. Like this guy that, that we gather every week to talk about, this guy lived a life over 2,000 years ago. I, I don't know about you, but I rarely talk about things that happen more than like five years ago, but we gather every week to talk about this man that lived 2,000 years ago because of who he is and because of what he did. Jesus came to earth being sent by God, being God's son, and he came to earth for a reason. And and that reason is because once God created us, we have always, 100% of the time, we have chosen to run from God, to forsake God, to sin against a perfect and holy God. And because God is perfect, holy, and just, there has to be a payment for that. And so we can either choose to take it on, which was our only hope, there was no hope, but God's like, no, this isn't right. I'm going to, in a perfect act of love, send my son Jesus to live a life among the people. So Jesus comes to earth in the form of a man. Even though he's a man, he's still God. And that's how he's able to do things that that we read about in God's word. And because he was still God, he never sinned. So like, like me and you, we have sinned against God. Jesus never sinned. And that enabled him to be a perfect sacrifice on a Roman cross 2,000 years ago. And, and after that, we know that he didn't stay dead, right? In, in a few weeks, we're gonna celebrate Easter, which celebrates that Jesus came back from the dead, which does a few things. It proves that he was God because he defeated death. It also shows that God accepted his payment for the penalty of our sins. And so if, if now put your mind... Uh, put yourself in the place of the disciples, right? You've just watched all of this happen. Jesus did three years of ministry where he was like doing crazy things, like feeding thousands of people with a couple fish and a couple loaves of bread, healing people's sight, healing their legs. He brought a few people back from the dead. Like he's doing crazy things, and, and this happened for three years. And then the disciples, he, he towards the end of his, before he was crucified, Jesus kept saying to them, "Hey, I, I'm going to die." And even though he said it at least three times to them, they're like, no, you're not, Jesus. Like, we know that everything else you say comes true, but you're not going to die. Then he dies on a cross, and they're like, what just happened? He dies on the cross. They have no idea what to do. But then he comes back from the dead, and then he starts to appear to people. Right? We know of at least ten times in God's word that he comes back and, and he appears before people. And so these 10 times, nine of them were just kind of like out of nowhere. Like Jesus appears into a room that's locked or or he shows up on a road walking with some of the disciples. But only one time, at least that we know of in scripture, does he plan out a meeting with the disciples. In this meeting, I'm like, if you're the disciples, it's like, man, whatever Jesus is about to say to us, like he told us to be at this mountain on this day at this time, whatever he's about to say has to be powerful. Like it has to be impactful. And it's planned, planned out. And so, as Jesus is about to meet with them, the, the disciples are kind of prepared for this moment. Jesus is about to give them final instructions. And so now as we look at Matthew 28, verse 18, he leads with, Jesus said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. So he leads with that and it's like, man, this is crazy. He, he's like, I am the son of God. The, the way that I came back from the dead... I'm showing, I'm proving that I'm God. I have all authority, not just on earth though, but also in heaven. And then he leads with his last words and he says, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Man, Jesus could have said anything, anything in these moments. But he tells them, this is what he says to them. Go, therefore, make disciples of all nations. And so I know if you may be like me, whenever I used to hear this verse, I always kind of wrote it off as like, oh, yeah, that's for missionaries, right? It says go to, to all nations, to other countries. So that's just for missionaries. It doesn't really apply to me. But then I got to college and someone taught it to me in a way that I think is far more accurate in a way that Jesus intended it when he told it to the disciples, And so Jesus gives them four commands in this verse, in these two verses, and to not get into the Greek and everything, three of these commands point to one of them, as in like there is one ultimate command that Jesus tells the disciples to do. And it is this, it is make disciples. Make disciples. In Jesus' last words on earth, he says, make disciples. And the way you're gonna do it is you're gonna go to all nations and you're gonna baptize and you're gonna teach. But the ultimate command is clear, make disciples. I heard one of my friends the other night say this, and it's so true, that it's so interesting that whenever we begin a relationship with God, it's like if the only point of that was to have community and a relationship with God, which that alone is plenty of reason to follow God. But if that was the only reason, why is it that once it happened, nothing happened to us and we stayed here? Like, if, if that was the sole reason, why would God not just take us up into heaven at that moment? And I think, it's, I think it's clear, and it's in Jesus' last words. It's because we are here, we have a mission, we have a command from the King of kings and the Lord of lords to go and make disciples. Jesus could have said anything. He could have said, he didn't say a few things. He didn't say, hey, go invite your friends and your families to the synagogues once a week, and, and that's great. Which is a great thing, but that's not what he said. He could have said, uh, go and live a life that reflects me. Like go live a life to where you you do good things, do more good things than bad things, continue to come to church to to celebrate me and to worship me. Uh, And maybe if you live your life well enough, people will ask you about your faith, which would be a good thing, but he doesn't say that. He doesn't take the 11 disciples and he's not like, okay, you three, you guys are going to go and make disciples. You eight, you just kind of bring people to them and they're going to do it. And then you guys just kind of remember me in your prayers from time to time. He doesn't say that. He tells these 11 men that he just spent spent the most crucial years of his life with on earth. And he says to all of them, all 11, go make disciples and I'll be with you. But inevitably, as he said this to all of them, that that same command was passed on to all the people that come to faith in the book of Acts and all the people that come to faith throughout the rest of scripture all the way until 2,000 years later, we sit in this room for those of us that are following Jesus. And it still applies today. But inevitably, what is everyone's responsibility becomes no one's responsibility What's everyone's responsibility becomes no one's responsibility. Now, again, you may may be like me. Like, I grew up with an understanding of who God was, uh, who Jesus was. And and there were people around me that that were great witnesses, like family, friends, mentors as I was growing up that, that lived lives that honored God. But there was just something about, like, my life. I just wasn't ready yet. And then I came to college, and my freshman year, it's like the second weekend of school. I'm making mac and cheese in the dorm room, right, like super normal college stuff. And I'm making mac and cheese, and someone knocks on our door at like 8 o'clock at night, on a Thursday or Friday night. It was kind of weird. But, again, college is not like a normal thing for me yet, so I'm like, I guess this is normal, whatever. Someone knocks on the door. Me and my roommate open the door, and it's these two guys that are like, Definitely not college students. They're definitely older than college. They were only like 25, but they were, they were very clearly not in college. And, and they go on to invite us to a fantasy football league of all things. And I remember being like, Man, this is weird. I'm from a small town. I don't think this is normal, but I don't really know. But I feel like we shouldn't go to their house. My, roommate, my roommate's like, yeah, we're in. And I remember being like, dude, what? What do you mean we're in? So we go to this, this guy's house, to this fantasy football league. And let me tell you this, that fantasy football league changed my life. That fantasy football league changed my life. I didn't win the league, that didn't matter. But that fantasy football league brought me into a friendship with a guy named Nathan that God was going to use to change my life. And so as Nathan and I became friends, we would do anything from play basketball at the rec. Like we would debate sports and conspiracy theories at lunch, like weird stuff. We were just friends. We would, uh, he'd come to my room and play FIFA, which I was like, it's kind of weird. Like you're not in college. Like, what are you doing here playing FIFA? But, but like we're, we're playing FIFA. We're just becoming friends. But he did not neglect the most important thing about his life was his relationship with God. And he shared that with me and how I can have a relationship with God. And so throughout the next 9 months Nate processed what it looks like for me to follow God. Like, here's what's true about Jesus, is this true of my life? And he asked me hard questions that like I needed to hear, but I wasn't always willing to let myself go there on my own. I needed someone, an individual to be used by God to ask me these hard questions. And over the course of the next eight or nine months, uh, that next July, I remember driving around Dexter, Missouri by myself, and I, I'm talking out loud to God. I'm praying, talking like somewhere in the middle, I guess. And I remember saying, You know what, God? I'm in. I'm in. I'm going to follow you. W- whatever that looks like, I'm in. And at that point, Nathan then began to disciple me, right? Like what Jesus told the disciples, he says, go make disciples. And so Nathan hears that, sees it happen in his life from someone else. And so Nathan then can, does that with me, right? I had started a relationship with Jesus and now Nathan teaches me how to read the Bible. It, like, like I knew how to read the Bible, but I didn't know exactly how, to commu- like how it applied to my life. He, he taught me how to pray to God and more so than just like for my next test in college. He taught me how to pray for my future family, my future kids, the the people around me that didn't know Jesus, the people in other countries that don't get to know or hear of Jesus' name. He taught me how to pray for the world, how to pray for things not just about myself. He taught me how to surround myself with a community of people who are going to make me more like Christ, not people that are going to bring me back into the ways of the world. He taught me how to walk with God. He discipled me. And he did it by just by reading God's word, by seeing the way Jesus did it with the disciples. And he did it by, by looking at verses like this, 2 Timothy 2.2, where Paul says to Timothy, and what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. And so we know that this verse was written by Paul whenever he was in a Roman prison. So it's the last letter we know of that Paul wrote. And in his last letter, like Paul's last words, what he wanted to communicate to Timothy, one of his his like most loved disciples, he says, Hey, what you've heard from me, take the torch, go find faithful men who will be able to teach others also. It's in Jesus' last words, it's in it's in Paul's last words: go make disciples. And so over these last um, eight or so-ish years since I've been learning how to follow God and growing closer and closer to the image of his son and learning how to fight sin, how to share my faith, God's used me to be what Nathan was in my life. He's used me to do that in other guys' lives. And so this next picture kind of shows some of the guys that God's just used me to play some form of a role in them coming into a saving relationship with himself, and so I look at this and I'm, I'm reminded and humbled because I look at it and I'm like, man, look what God's used me to do. But then I remember that a lot of those guys came to faith like pretty quickly after me. I think back to some of the first times I was sharing the gospel, the very first time, me and Nathan go to the, the student union and he's like, hey, we're gonna hang out with Zach and you're gonna, sh-, or he actually didn't say that. He says, we're gonna hang out with Zach. Usually what happened is we would hang out, Nathan would talk about God and I would just kind of be there like, yeah, you should listen to him. Like he knows what he's talking about. I was just kind of like a hype man, you know? And then, and then today though, we get done eating with the like small talk and then Nathan says, hey dude, Zach, T-Mill is gonna share this verse uh, about the Bible with you. And I was like, what? <laughs> there was no heads up for this. He just kind of threw me in, right? And so I remember that conversation and then it was like, I communicated. It, it, was, it was this. I communicated it clear enough, I guess you could say, but it was like choppy. It was. It was like not personable at all. Uh, I probably confused him a little bit. I don't know. Nathan was there, so I didn't say anything like way out there. But but I but I remember in that moment as I left, thinking, "Man, I'm in the game now. I'm in the game." And that's all God needs of us or wants of us is is to be faithful and to follow him and to step out in boldness and initiate conversations about himself. And so I think back to guys like like Thomas, the first person that I saw come to faith once I began sharing my faith. And and he came to faith in a service at High Street just about a year and a half after I did. And I remember him saying to me, hey, so like, what do I do now? Like now that I'm following Christ. And I remember being, I remember being like, Well, I've never gotten this far before. So, uh, dude, I guess I go to Panera in the mornings and I read my Bible. You should come with me. And that's all it started as. We began reading our Bible together. I had read a little bit more of the Bible than him, but like not a lot at this point. And so I'm reading my Bible. He's reading his. We're talking about questions we have. We're figuring them out together. Uh, I'm helping him fight sin in his life. I'm helping him learn how to share his faith, how to surround himself with the right people. And and like I'm just doing the things Nathan did with me. I I think of a guy named Blake who, who grew up very similar to me wanting to live a life that's like as long as I'm moral enough, as long as I'm good enough, then I will get to be, I will get to be right before God. And I think of all these guys and how they come from different backgrounds and the similarity in our lives is that God changed our lives because of what Jesus did on a cross for us. And so the last few minutes, we're gonna go through this illustration, the same illustration I share with guys. And so you should have gotten two cards. One um, One of them we're gonna go through together right now. And then one of them, I'm gonna challenge you to share it with somebody this week. And I know you don't leave church typically with homework, so I know that's weird, but like, man, if what Jesus said was true in the last moments of his life and that we are to go make disciples, I'm like, this is one of the best first steps we can take in learning how to share this and sharing it with with our kids, our grandkids, our neighbors, our coworkers, our friends. Like, this is such a great tool. It's not the only way to share the truth about Jesus, but I've just found it be a great tool that I can use to initiate conversations about Jesus and it be clear and it be guided. And so it's a great tool and we're gonna learn it together for the next few minutes. And so I'll, I'll rip, I'll, bring out a sheet of paper, I'll write it down and then I'll ask them to read it. And then I'll say, okay, so man, we're we're just gonna kind of define some of the words and then it's gonna play out into this illustration and and it'll make sense at the end. And so we're gonna fly through this right now. So um, if you forget something that what we're doing is in the back of this red book that I talked about, it's also on High Street's website. There's a video explaining how to do this. So if you miss something, don't worry, it's out there. So we're gonna do it real quickly together. So the first word we come to is wages. And with each word we go through, I'm just going to explain or ask the question, hey, how would you define this word? Uh, what's an example? Uh, what's it make you think of? I'm just gonna ask that basic question to every word. So I ask it about wage. Hey dude, what, what's a wage? And, and they'll know that, or they'll eventually get to, it's something that you earn, right? A wage is something earned. If you work a job, what you deserve is money for that job. It's a wage. And so they'll be like, okay, wage, something earned. Next word We come to is sin. And so sin, same question. What is it? Examples, how would you define it? And with this, I just want them to get to the idea and understanding that sin is something that we do against a perfect God. And it separates us from God because God is perfect and holy. He is perfect. And so when we sin, it makes us imperfect and it therefore separates us from God because of the sin that we commit. And then the next word we come to is death. And this death, I'll just want, to, want them to understand that this death is a spiritual separation from God that, that happens, over, it happens for eternity, which means hell. And so, like the first line is, is, there's no hope. It's no good. Because what we've got so far is what we earn by sinning is this spiritual death, which means separation from God for eternity. But luckily the verse keeps going. But the free gift. And so gift, same question. What is a gift? Define it. Explain. And And then they'll say a gift is unearned. Right? It's free. Something freely given. So unlike a wage which we earn, a gift is unearned. And so this gift from God is eternal life. Eternal life. In eternal life, I just want them to understand that it's the opposite of a spiritual death, right? A spiritual death is separation from God forever in hell. Eternal life is forever with God in heaven. And so it's shaping up to be like, it's very clear which side is better, right? And I know I, I say that and it almost sounds trivial. Like I want them to know that there is this sin has, has permanently separated us from God. There's nothing we can do to fix this problem on our own. And then in comes how the gift gets to us, and it's in Christ Jesus. And so with this part, I'll ask them, hey, if someone random came and sat down with us and they didn't know anything about Jesus, what are the things that you would want them to make sure to know before they left? And so this is kind of the only part you have to memorize, I guess, but we memorize a ton of things in life. So if if it comes down to where, the reason we don't share this is because it's like, man, I, I forgot. Like, it is worth our time to learn a few things about Jesus, in which we know them too. It's just remembering to write them out. So the, the first one is, who was Jesus? He was the son of God. And he was the son of God, but he came to earth as a man. So he was 100% man and 100% God. And because he was 100% man and 100% God, he was able to be the only one to live a life where he never sinned. Never sinned. And it's because of this that he was able to be a perfect sacrifice for us whenever he died on a Roman cross. But he, again, he proved he was God because he came back from the dead and rose again. And it's because of these five things that makes Jesus fundamentally and completely different from me and from you. And because of these five things, Jesus was able to give us this avenue where we get back to God. Where we get back to God. And so at this point, it's kind of like coming together like, oh, okay, this makes sense. I get it. I get it intellectually. But, but then I'll just want to point out like, okay, so it's, it, it makes sense. But like not everybody follows God. So like where's the disconnect? And so at this point, I'll start to use the pen that I'm using a lot because I think it paints a really good picture. I'll say, okay, so this is a gift, right? And they'll be like, yeah, we already talked about that. Yeah. And then I'll say, okay, so if this pen, if I was going to give it to you as a gift, at what point does it become yours? And then they they kind of stumble for a second, and then they're like, I guess whenever I take it. it's like, yeah, exactly. You, you just have to take this gift, accept this gift, or receive this gift. Because it's being handed to us like this. It's freely given. And so with this, I'm like, okay, what's it mean or what's it look like to take this gift? And it's got two parts to it. Turn and Trust. And so the first part is just realizing that this sin, it separates us from a perfect, holy, and just God. And we deserve for there to be a payment against it. Because just because like we've sinned against God, like he is just, he's not just gracious, he's also just. So someone has to pay for the sins that have been committed. And we can either do it by turning and trusting in Jesus, or we can do it by the spiritual death. Those are the two options. So the first part is to turn from our sin and the second part is to trust in Jesus as our Lord. And this is the last word we talk about. And so with Lord, again, same question. Hey man, how would you define it? What's an example? And and where I wanna get them with this is I want them to know that a Lord has complete authority. Thinking of medieval lords, thinking of, Uh, landlords, drug lords, like whenever we think of the word Lord, complete authority. And so this is what it looks like to receive the pen or accept the pen, right, is we turn from our sin, trust Jesus as Lord. And at this point, the, the illustration itself is done, but now I'm like, I don't just want to share this with them. I want them to respond in where they are at on this. And so there's three places that we can kind of be in this illustration. And, and the first one is just someone who's not very interested in, in God or a relationship with God, doesn't believe in God for various reasons. And so they're just not very interested. The second person is I think where a lot of people actually fall into and it's that they understand sin is wrong and even have maybe tried to turn or stop sinning against God. But the thing is, is that they are trying to get as close to God as they can, but there comes a point where they can't fix this problem because it's already happened in their life and no matter what kind of willpower or... or or obedience or whatever they have they cannot go on without sinning because we are we are sinful by nature and so they try to do this by by I'll, I'll go to church more I will I will sin less right like I won't get drunk as often I, I will treat my wife better which are all good things like we should do these things but but make no mistake there's there is no way you can fix this problem of sin on your own the only thing that can is someone who is perfect and because of trusting in him with the authority in our life is how you get to the third ex, or is the, the third person. And so I'll ask them, like, man, where, where would you put yourself on here if you, had to, if you were honest with yourself and with me? And it's cool because as you guys have this conversation, people will generally be honest with you. And it's really cool to just kind of have them share their heart. And so they'll, they'll say one of the three X's or like one of these three spots. Sometimes, like I tried to say I was kind of like right here, but then... It's like kind of cheating. And and honestly, it, what I didn't understand, even though like I did in my mind, I, I was still operating under this like, well, I'm still working on getting to Jesus or working on getting to God. It's like, but man, this gift, it's it's a, you take it or you don't. You don't try to take it or you don't work on taking something that's being offered like this. You either You either have it or you don't. And so I'll just want to explain that. And then if they say one of these two, I want to ask them like, man, this is a decision you can make right now. You can make a decision to turn from your sins and trust in Jesus as your Lord. Do you want to do that today? And they'll say yes or no. And sometimes they'll say yes, just kind of like flippantly because they're like, well, it's the next correct answer, right? But I want them to know like, man, this makes your life look radically different. Like when we read the Bible, people's lives didn't just look the same with a little more stuff about God in it when this happened. Like they were indwelt with the Holy Spirit and their life changed. But it happened after they put their trust in Jesus as Lord. And so that is the illustration. And then I'll just kind of take it from there where it goes with how they're responding. Um, And so I know that that, that's kind of a lot. You may be like, man, it'll take me a long time to learn that. I I watch 20 year old college students learn this in like 30 minutes every summer and they go share it with random people, which is wild, but they do it. And so like this is something, if you practice it a few times, there's someone out there that, that would benefit like not just for the rest of their life, but for eternity by understanding in a one-on-one conversation about God. Like it's sometimes easy to, to, to come to church and to, to hear this and be like, well, yeah, but you like don't have to address it for yourself. Whenever you're sitting down with somebody like, they have to be honest with themselves. And it's just one of the most influential, impactful moments of their life when you give someone the opportunity to respond to what God has done for them. And so I would challenge you, encourage you to, to practice this once or twice and share it with someone that you love. Because this illustration God used to change my life and other guys' lives around me. So uh, in 2014, um, I actually did hear, I, I was present for someone's last words. And, and it totally, like it's something that you'll never forget. Uh, if it happens to you, you won't forget it. Like I'll never forget it. And so in 2014, um, I was a sophomore in college and, and my dad called me and he said, hey, your papa is not doing well and so he had cancer at the time and so he said you should come back and so I drove three and a half hours home to Dexter and then in the middle of the night we went to the hospital and so it was me my dad uh, my aunt Amy and, and my nanny in the room with my papa and uh, as, as we're there they're all taking turns kind of talking to him um, saying it's going to be okay that they love him and I'm just kind of sitting in the corner because I don't really know what to do like he's Uh, He was asleep or or, or unconscious at least. And then they they asked if I wanted to talk to him. And so I go over uh, to to the side of the bed and and they kind of move out of the way. And then I I grab his hand and I say, hey, Pawpaw. And and when I say that, his eyes opened. And and I wasn't ready for that. And so I I didn't know what to say. Um, I just said, I love you. And and he, he, he was awake and he looked back at me and he said, I love you too. And then uh, he, he went back to sleep and, um, and then he passed away a few hours later. And so, man, when I think back to that moment, I think of like, he didn't care about the, the stuff the world offers him at that moment. He cared about the people in the room and, and how they felt about him and, and how God feels about him. That's all that mattered in his life in that moment. And, and whenever, I, whenever I think back to those words, I just, I can't help but think that has to be how Jesus talked to the disciples in his last moments right? Like he could have said anything to them. He could have simply said, I love you. And that would have been enough. But what he said is he's like, man, go make disciples. Go make disciples. It's your purpose. It's why I'm going to prepare a place for you. And I'm leaving you here is because I want to use you as the vehicle to get my name to the world. Go make disciples. If you're here and you, you have a relationship with Jesus, the, the command, what he told the disciples in his last moments, it applies to you and it applies to me. And, and it's like, this is what we are here for still is to go make disciples. And if you're here and you're, and as, as we were going through this, you're like, man, I don't know where I'm at on this. Like, like I know that sitting is wrong and, and, but I just don't know if Jesus has the, has the complete authority in my life. Just like if I was sharing this with you and it was just me and you, I want you to know that you can make a decision to trust in Jesus as your Lord right now. Uh, one of my friends always says, you don't, you don't get clean before you get in the shower, right? That doesn't make sense. You get in the shower in order to get clean. There, there's not, that you don't have to remove certain sin or dirt in your life, whatever it is, in order to do this. Like once you get in the shower, once you trust in Jesus, he's the one who makes you clean. You don't do it on your own, you're not not able to. So if if that's true of you, you can make the decision to trust in Jesus today. It can be as simple as what I did, like nine years ago as I'm driving around and all I said to God was, I'm in, I'm in. Jesus doesn't doesn't need you to do X, Y, Z, he just wants your heart. And when he has your heart, your life will look like that on on the back end, not on the front end. Jesus just wants your heart. The Bible says in Romans 10, 9, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. He, he, uh, a few verses later, it says, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And so how do you do that? You make a decision to trust in Jesus as your Lord. And so I'm gonna invite you to pray with me and there's not gonna be magic words, like there's no formula to get to God. The only thing that gets to God is trusting in what Jesus did on the cross for us 2,000 years ago to pay for our sins. And so I'm gonna pray and then I would invite you to pray as well.